Hey, Crack fans. Before we get to today's show, I want to let all of you listeners know about the revolutionary work being done by our friends over at Swing Vision. Now, all of us as tennis players are constantly searching for that piece of information that's going to give us that one, two, three percent edge whenever we step onto the court. We want to know, am I hitting my forehand with enough depth? Am I accurately placing my backhands? Am I employing patterns on the court that are putting me in an optimum position to experience success? Thankfully, all of those questions can now be answered via the app produced by our friends at Swing Vision. Folks, it's extraordinarily simple. You're going to download the app. You're going to turn that app on your phone. You're going to put your phone on the back fence, the back curtain of whatever court you're playing on. You're going to hit record. And then using artificial intelligence, Swing Vision is going to break down your performance. If you click on the link that you find in the podcast description here on today's episode, you'll go right to the Swing Vision website. And of of course, friends who use our Crack Rackets promo code CRACK20 are going to get an additional $20 discount and a free 14-day pro trial on the Swing Vision app. Again, you use that promo code CRACK20, $20 discount, as well as a free 14-day pro trial. How do you find the link? To get signed up, just go back to your podcast feed. It's in the podcast description of this episode. You go to the Swing Vision website, you set up your account, you download the app, you get rocking and rolling, get all the information one location with our friends at Swing Vision. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, June 30th, day four of the 2022 Wimbledon officially in the books. It was a day that requires one to look beyond the surface to see the storylines that emerged. Of course, if you look at simply the results, it appears to be a relatively tame day in women's singles. Of course, we watch the matches. We know better here at Crack Rackets. Certainly, there was some drama in the defeat of last year's finalist, Carolina Pliskova. The sixth seed knocked off by home crowd favorite Katie Bolter. Bolter was exceptional in a three-set victory, her second win over Pliskova of this 2022 grass court season, of course, on today's show. I want to talk about what was the most notable upset on the women's side, but of course, the headline result of the day, Iga Sviantek dropped the set. Now, of course, she ultimately ended up winning her three-set battle, but for Iga Sviantek now, 37 consecutive victories. She just has not dropped many sets throughout the course of that 37-match win streak. Anytime she struggles, that's going to be the headline. That's what we have to discuss on this show. Now, again, ultimately, Iga able to survive, and I'll discuss why she was able to do so, but that will be the match we start today's podcast with, of course, on the men's side. You did have four seeds knocked off on the day, most unfortunately, Roberto Bautista Agut, who is always such a tough out on the grass courts, reached the finals in Majorca last week before getting knocked out by Stefano Tsitsipas in a third set. Bautista Agut, unfortunately, testing positive for COVID before the round began. As such, he defaults from his match against Daniel Galan. And you look for Rafael Nadal, certainly, and I know I'm getting into it early here, but one of the biggest storylines, you look at the bottom half of the draw, three names you would have said from the get-go that were 
we're most likely to test Nadal at this 2022 Wimbledon. Matteo Berrettini, who tests positive for COVID. Baron Cilic, who tests positive for COVID. Now Roberto Bautista Agut as well. All three of them in Nadal's half of the draw. Again, Kyrgios Tsitsipas still alive in this half, but I would argue three of the five guys you would have you would have said or argued, you could say both words here, hey, great shot, would have argued were most likely to test Nadal on this surface. They've been knocked out by the coronavirus. So again, a storyline to keep in mind. You got to look beyond the surface level there. It's not just Bautista, Goot, a couple of these withdrawals adding up now. You never know when the next one is going to come. Certainly that was one of the storylines of the day. But of course, on the tennis court, some fantastic action as well. You had Alex Demonauer, a spectacular four-set victory over home crowd favorite Jack Draper. Demonauer is just a special athlete on the tennis court, able to move in ways rarely seen, I would argue, throughout the course of ATP Tour history. His first step is that special, his relentlessness in extending rallies. It's what allowed him to survive and advance with a four-set victory over the big-hitting and extraordinarily talented Jack Draper. He also had the Americans continuing their success. Brandon Nakashima uh, earning a four-set upset victory over Shapovalov. Nakashima has been quietly excellent throughout the course of this European stretch and really throughout this 2022 season. A guy who would now be in the ATP Top 50 if this Wimbledon was offering points. Unfortunately, they are not. Nevertheless, Nakashima guy, you got to circle as someone capable of having a big summer in 2022. We'll talk about how he was able to pull off that upset victory. Also, talk about where Denis Shapovalov goes from here. The struggles continue for him in Europe, of course. Beyond the upsets, you also had top seeds looking comfortable on the day, whether it's Halep, Goff, but Dosa's continued uh, exceptional run. Kvitova, they were all players you named, uh, except, I suppose, Bedosa prior to the tournament as contenders. Goff, Halep, Kvitova all continuing to look exceptional. You've got Krajikova and Bedosa, I should say, returning to form the young players like Ajung Chin Wen continuing to look exceptional on the women's side. On the men's side, we'll get into another four-set win for Nadal, Tsitsipas, Fritz, Kyrgios. They all looked exceptional on the day as well. We'll talk all aspects of day four here on today's show. Of course, the reason we are able to do that day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. We continue to be so grateful that you turn to us for your coverage of all things happening across levels in the tennis world. We know tennis fans deserve a daily show with all of the action that unfolds, and we do our best here at Cracked Rackets not only to highlight the ATP WTA level events, of course, Grand Slams take priority, but we're so excited to resume our coverage of the 2022 SoCal Pro Circuit, the ITF action continuing on Saturday and Sunday in Los Angeles. You have you know some of the top college players in the world top juniors in the world, aspiring pro players, all trying to work their way towards Wimbledon. It starts at the ITF level, and we are so excited again to continue our coverage of that action this Saturday and Sunday. The only reason we're able to get matches, get broadcasts like that on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel because of the support we get from all of you listeners. Of course, if you're looking for preview content, Great Shot Podcast feed, the place for you, our GSP Ace of the Day segment, 9-7-2 overall in the tournament. 
tournament. We're holding strong through the first two rounds, but not only do I offer my picks via the odds presented by our friends at DraftKings, I also run through each of the day's matches, name the players I'm leaning towards and why. Again, all of that preview content available on the Great Shot podcast feed, of course, last but certainly not least. Before we start today's show, a shout out to our friends at Tennis Point who have been providing the best equipment at the lowest prices to generations of tennis fans. If you require any update to the equipment you're rocking out on court, it is officially summertime, July 4th, right around the corner. You want to look your best on the tennis court, whether that be new shoes, a new shirt, new shorts, whether it be updating your racket, your strings, you name it. Our friends at Tennis Point have got it. They can help you, guide you in the right direction as well. So again, if you are looking for the best equipment at the best prices, our friends at Tennis Point have you covered. Tennis-Point.com. Use that promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into day four of the 2022 Wimbledon. Let's start with Iga Sviantek, the top seed, earning her 37th consecutive victory. What a ridiculous thing to say out loud. 37th consecutive victory, again, most of the century. And, you know, now she's crawling up there with the Hinguses of the world, the Navratilovas of the world, Graphs of the world, in terms of one of those all-time streaks amidst an all-time season. And I'll wait until the end of this this Grand Slam to make the case for why Iga is still alive in the GOAT conversation. That's right, folks. It's Grand Slam time. We're bringing back that bit. Iga Sviantek continuing to prove uh, that she is one of those special talents you see come along every so often on the ATP or WTA Tour. But look, it was a struggle today for the top seed. Ultimately, she advances 6-4-4-6-6-3 over Kirkov. But you look for Iga Sviantek. The stats don't do justice to the sloppiness of the performance. And when I say sloppiness of the performance, you look for Iga again, surface level numbers still pretty solid on the day. She makes 69% of her first serves, wins 68% of those points, 52% of her second serve points, only faces five break points in three set matches, broken three times throughout the course of the match, of course, given Iga Sviantek has broken serve 56% of the time this season, which would be a record for a single season on the WTA Tour. She is breaking serve of her opponent more than half the time in every match that she plays. She was 4 of 7 on breakpoint chances today, and ultimately that was enough to get the job done. She goes down an early break in set number one, able to overcome that, get the second break that she needs, but she was sloppy on the return of serve today. And credit to Kirkov, who made 68% of her first serves, won 70% of those points, 8 of 30 on second serve points, and that speaks to whenever Sviantek got a clean look at the return of serve, she looked awfully like Iga Sviantek, but unfortunately, I don't have the exact number in front of me. Uh, Iga, you know, again, Kirkov, 44 of 63, excuse me, 44 of 63, wins 70% of her first serve points. 
I would venture to say 14 of those 44 points won on the first serve were off of Iga Sviantek shanked return errors. And the forehand side in particular today, of course, that wing where she has the more extreme grip, the more elongated backswing, that's the side more susceptible to pace. Why is that the fact? Well, simply put, the size of her backswing just takes her a little bit longer to get to the ball. And if you can jam that side, take time away from her, she's not going to be able to hit the ball cleanly. Similarly, given the extreme nature of her grip, that contact point essential, she's not getting the ball out in front. If she's catching it a little bit late, she will produce more shanks uh, than she normally does. And that was the case. Kirkhoff found the forehand for Iga Sviantek with that first serve. She found it consistently. Now, again, Iga was feasting on the second serve. Iga wins 22 of 30 second serve points. Eight double faults for Kirkhoff because it got to the point where, look, if I roll in the second serve, I'm going to lose the point anyway, so I might as well go after the second serve a little bit more, and I'm making 68% of my first serves. If I have a two-thirds chance of making the second serve anyways and I missed the first serve, well, this would be one of the other two in that three-point stretch, and you could understand that tactical decision. You know, Kirkhoff, 15 winners against 22 unforced errors. She stayed steady. She played with depth. She played down the center of the court. And again, Ego was mistiming various shots throughout the course of this match. You look at the second set when she was ultimately broken on serve three relatively unforced errors generated in that game, two of them on the forehand side. Yes, again, Kirkup did a good job changing direction. And more than anything, again, it was keeping her depth on her ground strokes. But this match was played on Iga's terms still, and what I enjoyed most about the third set was how measured Iga was throughout the course of the set. You know, 11 winners against just eight unforced errors, made 73% of her first serve, four of five at the net, earned her break point, held serve the rest of the way. She just got back to the basics of hitting the three-quarter shot and moving the ball from corner to corner, not allowing Kirkhoff to set her feet. And because it's so difficult to defend on a grass court, eventually Kirkhoff would leave a ball short. And if you give Iga time on the backhand side, that backhand is the best backhand on the WTA Tour. She can explode through it cross-court down the line. I don't think she ever lost her rhythm on that wing. It was the forehand side where she really needed to have her feet set uh, set to find success throughout the course of the day. You look for her again uh, in terms of the unforced errors on the forehand wing. Uh, They were more numerous today than they were on the backhand side. And, you know, again, it's because the little steps were off. The footwork was off. And you look for Iga Sviantek despite the 37 consecutive wins here in 2022. And she's 46 and three, winning 94% of her matches overall this season. Again, you look for her during this 37 match win streak. Uh, She's dropped just six total sets overall now throughout the course of the streak. That's ridiculous. So let's see. She's won, yeah, 37 matches. I mean, she's won 74 sets. She's 74 and six in her last 80 sets. Come on now. Like, that's just ridiculous. I don't know what else to say, folks. That is ridiculous. It's why at 21 years old, she's very much still alive in the greatest of all time race, two grand slams, and even when not playing her best, which is going to happen to you throughout the course of your seven matches. The key is, again, getting a little lucky and when that bad match happens and being able to manage it when it does. I love the margins Iga played with in set number three and still worth mentioning. You look for her overall in her career. She's now just played 14 total matches on a grass court.
14 total matches on grass courts. That was her 10th main draw match on a grass court in her career. You know, again, overall, uh, or excuse me, that was her 11th. Uh, no, no, 10th, final answer. She's 6-4 and four overall in those 10 career grass court matches. Let her find her bearings. Let her find her footings. But I, the thing I think I liked most is the fact that, you know, Kirkhoff didn't have a weapon. Sviantek, who was a little bit slap happy in those first couple of sets, identified that and just got back to the basics and proved her neutral gear, her 75%, which I think we all identify, is still better than the rest of the field. So despite getting tested, and again, credit to Leslie Kirkhoff, who, you know, 30 years old and 138 in the world, qualifies as a lucky loser into this Wimbledon main draw. You look for her in her careers at the Grand Slams now, 22 and 28 overall. But in terms of success in the main draw, just her second time she makes a second round appearance at a slam, the last one coming last year where she also qualified for Wimbledon. Was a heck of a performance. Loved the backhand. Loved her willingness to just again try and hold that baseline. But ultimately, Iga did too good of a job moving that ball around the court. And just again, Iga can beat you in so many different ways. To get today, it was with her physicality, with her consistency, and just her ability to open up space on the court. So the top seed, while tested ultimately does advance. And again, I like that she's tested. I like that some calluses are built up here for the number one seed, Iga. Again, she's going to play her 11th career grass court main draw match in this Wimbledon third round. And yet, she's still the definitive favorite, according to our friends at DraftKings, to win the title. With that said, let's stick with the women's side, but now start talking about the juice. Start talking about some of the upsets, the significant results we saw on the day. And it is Always significant when you lose your defending finalist. That's the case. Number six seed, Carolina Pliskova, knocked out by Katie Bolter, uh, Bolter a 3-6-7-6-6-4 victory, of course, notably for Katie Bolter. She had knocked off Pliskova just one week prior in the round of 32 in Eastbourne Bolter. Similarly, a 1-6 first set deficit comes back, takes the next 2-6-4. You look for Katie Bolter was a couple of things. A, her relentlessness on the on her first serve makes 72% of those first serves when 69% of those first serve points 12 of 15 at the net you look for her faced eight break points throughout the course of the match was broken four times was four of six breaking serve on her own in her own return games but what was so impressive was how well Bolter held the baseline. And you look at the numbers for Carolina Pliskova, who did not serve poorly in this match. Certainly the eight double faults, she wants some of them back. 13 aces, though, in this match. She made 79% of her first serves, won 75% of her first serve points. She was set, uh, 5 of 19, though, on the second serve, winning just 26% of those points. And that's where I speak to, again, Bolter's ability to hold the baseline. Bolter was standing on that baseline on every return of serve. And, you know, again, as Pliskova was doing, connecting with the first serve, there were times when it jammed Katie Bolter, where, or because she had to take the ball so early, she sent it sailing. And there were a plethora of forced errors given from Katie Bolter to Carolina Pliskova because of the tactics Bolter took. But 
look, again, giving Pliskova time, looping balls in the center of the court that she can just tee off on, that's not how you're going to beat Karolina Pliskova. You want to take the action to her. You want to stress the movement of Pliskova, not allow her to hit with her feet set because of how exceptional she can be with the power tennis that she plays. Bolter matched that power tennis throughout the course of this one. Again, 25 winners for Bolter against 37 unforced errors. You compare that to 17 winners against 30 unforced errors for Pliskova. But of course, you take the serve out of the equation. Bolter, 24 winners against 22, uh, 32, excuse me, unforced errors. Pliskova, just four winners against 22 unforced errors. Look, Pliskova won more total points. She had her chances throughout the course of the second set and, you know, again, had her opportunities to break early in that third set as well. But, you know, Katie Bolter, uh, or early in the third set, excuse me, early in that second set as well. But, you know, Katie Bolter able to fight those break points uh, off and, you know, get the break back, I should say, in sets number two and then doesn't face a break point in set number three and you know the volley she hits on match point with Pliskova on the run Pliskova lasers a ball at her body yet Bolter comfortably moving forward puts the volley away uh into the open court it's a career victory for Katie Bolter I don't care that she had beaten Pliskova a week prior you look for Bolter who 25 years old currently 118 in the world reached a career high of 82 back in 2019 has dealt with so many different injuries throughout the course of her career you look for her at the Grand Slams, you know, this is a career result for Katie Bolter. First time she's advanced to a third round at a slam for her to do it at Wimbledon of all places, of course, her home tournament where, you know, again, she has been a lot, you know, granted access to throughout the course of the year, whether she was younger and qualifying or certainly, you know, some of the wild cards she's gotten into this event over the year as well. You have to be ecstatic for Katie Bolter who really does have the weapons. Again, she's now matched Pliskova on serve twice on these grass courts in the past two weeks. And, you know, for Bolter, who qualified at the U.S. Open in 2021, wins around at last year's Wimbledon and, you know, has now almost solidified her spot in the top 100. Again, if Wimbledon was opening offering points this year, excuse me, she would be. You look for Bolter on the season 20-8 and eight overall this year. That includes, you know, playing an ITF-level event and winning a 60K at the start of February. That includes coming through qualifying to get into Lyon and make a win around at a 250 event to get into the main draw of Indian Wells, get into the main draw of Nottingham, then uses that wild card in Birmingham uh, to make a quarterfinal, follows that up by winning two matches in Eastbourne as well. 20-8 and eight is a big number. Speaks to itself, winning 71% of her matches this season. Again, if Wimbledon offered points, she would definitively be in the top 100, even without those points. Bolter 97th in the points race right now this season. She's been a top 100 player. Her weapons show that she could continue to be further than that. Now that she is healthy and can play with some physicality as well, did a great job. Love the action on her forehand, the whip of that shot, the disguise she's able to produce and where she's going. And then... You know, something about these British women, whether it's Radakanu, Bolter, the backhands are exceptional. They really are. And so, again, credit to Katie Bolter. She was just the better player today against Karolina Pliskova. And certainly, 
when you look for Pliskova, it's been a disappointing 2022. Yes, there was the injury to start the season, but Pliskova now 9-11 and overall here in 2022. Yes, she's currently ranked 7th, but you look for Pliskova. She's 69th in the points race this season, has not been a top 50 level player and certainly the big number for her what's deserted her it starts uh, with the serve you look for Pliskova she's holding serve 67.5 percent of the time for her career she's at 76 percent 76 percent would rank fourth on the WTA tour this season 67.5 percent that's outside the top 20 she's been a top server throughout the prime of her career she's won over 64 percent of her matches in every season since 2014 it's been an eight-year run for Carolina Pliskova. There's no doubt about that. The serve has left her this season. It just hasn't had the rhythm. It hasn't quite had the pace, the pop that it usually does. And then the effectiveness behind that first serve, just the movement in and out of the corners, the you know effectiveness of her shots. Again, you take the serve out of the equation for Pliskova in this match. Four winners against 22 unforced errors from the ground. That's just an unacceptable number from someone who, especially on this surface, capable of playing such exceptional power tennis. That said, again, all credit in the world to 25-year-old Katie Bolter. Some major moments momentum heading into the hard court summer. With that said, let's continue to look at the day we saw on day four and move towards the other upsets across the board. And let's move over now to the men's side. How about Brandon Nakashima and the American men? American men now, eight of them, eight American men into the third round of the 2022 Wimbledon. You look at the list of men who are doing it as well. It's that next generation of American men. It's Francis Tiafo, Taylor Fritz, Brandon Nakashima, who earns a four-set upset victory today uh, to advance over Denis Shapovalov. You also, of course, have old reliable John Isner. You've got, you know, uh, the winner of Max Cressy, Jack Sock. You've also, in the mix still, Jensen Brooksby. Talk about that next generation. Tommy Paul, Steve Johnson. Eight Americans alive in the round three of Wimbledon. Now, are any of those eight top five contenders to win the title. At this point, I'd have to go through the list in my head. Probably not. You know, Djokovic, Rafa, so far ahead of the field as contenders compared to everyone else. Then it's probably the list is Carlos Alcaraz and then a drop off and then everyone else. So no, they don't have any contenders in those top two tiers, but eight bites at the apple in the third round. We should see at least one Two Americans competing in the second week. And for perspective, when was the last time there were eight American men in round three of Wimbledon? You'd have to go all the way back to July 1995. July 1995, the last time there were eight-plus Americans in the third round of Wimbledon. Again, the names of those Americans perhaps going to uh, bring delight to some of you listeners. You had top seed Andre Agassi, David Wheaton. Jeff Tarango, a couple of standouts from the college tennis world. Aaron Crickstein, shout out to Jews from Michigan. Todd Martin, uh, uh, you had Ross Tango, you had Palmer, Sampras, Joyce. You know, again, 1995 Wimbledon, Agassi was the one seed, Sampras was the two seed. July 1995, and I apologize for this framing, particularly to my mother, a frequent listener of the Mini Break podcast as part of this applies to her. 
July 1995, I was a fetus. I was literally a thriving fetus on the precipice of birth. And, you know, again, July 95 is, what, three months before I enter the world? July, literally October 6, 1995 would have been probably quarterfinal weekend at the 1995 Wimbledon. It's been a full Alex Gruskin since we had eight American men. At the, in the third round of Wimbledon, and we keep going back to this. Everyone points to the 90s as the golden era of American men's tennis. You had Sampras, you had Agassi, Courier, Chang, Martin, Malavia, Washington, you know, countless other players competing for major titles. And of course, you also had the Chris Woodruffs of the world and countless others just filling out the top 50 and, you know, Tarangos and Wheatons at slam after slam after slam. You'd see these guys win a couple of matches. Whereas, you know, the difference is they had Sampras and Agassi, who were two front runners, the one and two seeds at the 95 Wimbledon. We don't have a Sampras or an Agassi in this group. I don't even know if we have a Courier or a Chang, a guy who's truly going to get through and win a Grand Slam. But we're going to have a lot of guys with bites at the apple. And again, you look through the 21st century, the most we had was five guys reach the third round of the 2022 Wimbledon. So just this century alone to almost double that performance. And again, most since I was a fetus. Like, come on now. Literally, it's been a full Alex Gruskin since we've had eight men in the third round of the 2022 uh, Wimbledon. Third, uh, I should say eight American men in that third round. And, you know, the names once again, John Isner, sure, he's old reliable. But outside of him, you've got Francis Tiafo. Tommy Paul, Jensen Brooksby, you know, uh, Taylor Fritz and, you know, Jack Sock, Max Cressy, one of those guys is going to survive. They're not going anywhere anytime soon. Sure, Stevie J, a little bit more old reliable as well, but a lot of good names, a lot of bites at the apple. You know, Riley Opelka knocked off by Van Reithoven. You feel like he's a guy who could have success at Wimbledon over the years. You've got Seb Korda, who reached the second week at Wimbledon last year. He couldn't play this year's Wimbledon due to injury when he's healthy. You feel like this surface is perfect for a guy with his skill set and size. The American men are coming. And again, are they going to win a Grand Slam? I don't know. If that's going to happen this decade, I don't have any of them on my tier one lock of six, right? I don't have my six locks. Just a reminder, we haven't done a next-gen tiers pod in a while. My promise to you listeners, we're going to do a next-gen tiers pod where things stand for all these 1996s or later uh, entering this next decade. But, you know, tier one guys, my locks to win slams this decade. Medvedev, who, of course, already has. Zverev, Tsitsipas. FAA, and then the two newcomers, Sinners and Alcaraz. You know, tier two, the guys who, they might win a slam. You're not quite sure, though. Kasparud, who makes a French Open final. Berrettini's made a Wimbledon final. Rublev probably has to be in that tier. You know, I don't know if there are any Americans even in tier number two, but I know Opelka, Fritz, Paul, Tiafo. You know, Brooksby, Korda, Nakashima, they can be right there with the Demon Hours, the Hachinovs, the Bublicks, the Kesmanoviches of the world. None of those guys are definitively better than any of the young Americans we see emerging. And again, tier three player, which means you're a top 20, top 15 sort of guy. And we've got five, six, seven guys nipping at the bit to enter that tier. Healthier place to be 
if you're American men's tennis, certainly. And, you know, that starts with Brandon Nakashima today. Apologies for the tangent, but Nakashima uh, just was the more solid of the two players in his four-set victory over Shapovalov. Nakashima, ultimately a 6-2-4-6-6-1-7-6 victory over the 13th seed. I mean, certainly part of this was just the struggle bus for Denis Shapovalov, who since beating Rafael Nadal earlier this season in Rome has yet to win, uh, you know, has won, excuse me, one match since that Rome event. He makes quarterfinals in Rome, loses to Kasparud, including that Kasparud loss, lost six consecutive matches between the Rome quarterfinals and the start of Wimbledon, earns a five-set win over Rinder Kanesh, but four-set loss to Brandon Nakashima. He made just 46% of his first serves, and, you know, again, I don't care that he's winning 80% of his first serve points, winning 33 Five of 44 first serve points on the match. He only made 46% of his first serves. He also only created one breakpoint chance for himself. And while he was one of one on breakpoint chances, only one against a guy in Brandon Nakashima, who has certainly gotten better as a server, holding 81.5% of the time this season. And actually, his 83.5% hold percentage on in tour-level matches, pretty impressive for a guy who doesn't overwhelm you with his size. But it wasn't the size, it wasn't the pace of the Nakashima serve that had Shapovalov so ineffective as a returner. It was the efficiency of Brandon Nakashima, who's in the Krechikova model of player, just hits his spots extraordinarily well with great depth, great accuracy, great precision. He doesn't wow you with anything he does other than his ability to absorb pace as on at on the backhand wing, excuse me, particularly as against a lefty. That Brandon Nakashima backhand is exceptional, but again, it's the slow progress from Brandon Nakashima over these past two years that have been so impressive. Last year, Nakashima 17 and 12 uh, in ATP Tour matches, 45 and 26 overall. That included, you know, run to back-to-back finals during the hard court summers in Los Cabos in Atlanta. Points he's going to have to defend here this summer. But what I really enjoyed this season is how he pushed himself outside of his comfort zone. You look for Nakashima last year, didn't play a single clay court match at the ATP level. He took the hard route this season. He went over to Europe, tried to qualify, get into the big hard court events. And you look for Nakashima, you know, lost in the qualifying rounds in Rome and in Madrid, but, you know, ultimately gets the the experience he needs at that level, gets to face guys like a Rude and a Vandesen Schulp and a Dimitrov. And that allows him to beat a Mychak, beat a Greek Spore. Make the third round of Roland Garros. Just again, putting himself in an uncomfortable position to become more comfortable on that surface, which he'll have to be moving forward. He then, again, grinds it out on the grass courts, plays the Serbatin Challenger, beats Kozlov Husler before a 4-6 loss to Murray, then quarterfinals in the Netherlands before he's knocked down three sets by Adrian Manorino, gets good wins over fellow countrymen Query and Paul. He makes round of 16 in Eastbourne, has to come through qualifying to do it, beats Query beats Steve Johnson before getting knocked out by Cam Nori. Now, impressive wins over Kuhn and, Nakash- and Shapovalov, excuse me, by Nakashima to get 
to the third round here. His second third round at a major this season. His only, you know, first round loss at a major this year was to Matteo Berrettini in four sets in Australia. No shame in that loss. And you look for Nakashima, two third rounds at the majors, two quarterfinals and ATP level events. He comes through qualifying to get into the main draw, uh, or excuse me, tries to play all of the Masters event to put himself in a position to make that next jump. Does get a win in both Miami and Indian Wells. So some first round Masters points on his resume. You know, again, 20 and 16 this season, 56% win percentage. He's not going to make that extraordinarily leap into the top 30, into the top 20, like we see those players winning 60, 70% of their matches will. But winning 56% of your matches, that's how you steadily ascend to a new career high. And Nakashima, 54 in the world in the early June, now 56 coming into Wimbledon. He just has gotten better at everything. He's put on 5, 10 pounds of muscles, can generate a little bit more pace on the serve, on the forehand, on the backhand. And he's always been, again, extraordinarily efficient. He's forced himself to move forward to the point now where he is a comfortable volleyer, knows where to go, what to do, and can execute efficiently at the net. I mean, you look for Nakashima, 22 winners against 14 unforced errors. He let Shapovalov implode at times, but he stayed relentless. And just more than anything else, Shapovalov did not hit the ball in the same spot on the court more than twice in a row. Nakashima is so effective at changing direction. I love his ability to elevate the ball down the line with his forehand when he's on the run, just by himself time. And, you know, again, Shapovalov, yes, it leaves the court open, but Nakashima can anticipate extraordinarily well, and I really do enjoy that first set. Uh, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the game of Brandon Nakashima. Extraordinarily well-rounded again. I think Sebastian Cordas got the guy with the highest ceiling of the next-gen 2.0 Americans. I think Brooksby is the biggest question mark. His ceiling might be as high as anyone's. I still don't know what his floor is. Nakashima is the, third, uh, the sure thing. He's going to be in the top 60 just for a while. The guy is that good. He's going to be competing at all the big events throughout the course of his career. And, you know, again, on the right day, his floor as a player so high. And that's not to diminish his ceiling. Again, he's holding 83.5% of the time for his career right now uh, on the ATP Tour, breaking just 19% of the time. And given he broke 25.6% of the time at the challenger level, you feel like as he grows more accustomed on the return of serve, which he is with every passing match, that number is going to spike upwards because, again, yes, his forehand backswing can begin, but so good on the backhand return and perfectly fine on the forehand return as well. It's not a glaring hitch. Binak, again, took it to Shapovalov today, who did not play his best, but Nakashima takes advantage of that fact, and ultimately it's Nakashima who's able to advance to the third round, and again, second third round for Nakashima at a major this season. You look for Nakashima now overall in his career, 10-10 and 10, uh, at the majors, but has only lost twice in the first round of a major. He's now played six main draws overall in his career, and you know, again, you look for him. Uh, in terms of first round matches, Brandon Nakashima, four and two in the first round. He's then two and two second round into, again, a second career third round at a slam. He's done it at Roland Garros. He's now done it at Wimbledon. And it feels like hard courts are going to be the surface that's the best in his career. So a testament to the well-rounded nature of Brandon Nakashima. But again, with all of that said, you know, kind of got into my Americans rant there and obviously how exceptional they were. There were other Americans who stood out. I'll get back to them, but just to round out, what were the upsets on day number four? I mentioned on the women's side, 
Pliskova goes down. Also got to give a shout out to Harmony Tan. Tan, a 6-3-6-4 victory over number 32 seed Sarah Cerebez Tormo. I thought Cerebus Tormo was just going to be better at everything than Harmony Tan. Both of them, physical players, creative players, don't overwhelm you with their weapons. They're going to make about 70% of their first serves. But again, that first serve, not a definitive weapon. And yet, you know, again, Tan was just the more disciplined, the more patient, and the more effective player moving forward. And it was a hard-fought 6-3-6-4 victory. You look for Harmony Tan, a match that, yes, was straight sets, but of course was also over two hours. Uh, but Harmony Tan rides that momentum, a wise decision to pull out of doubles given the physicality of this match, and ultimately, again, pays off as she advances to the third round at a major for the first time in her career. Credit to Harmony Tan pulling off the upset. 15 seeds knocked out on the women's side through the first two rounds. Honestly, that feels about right, given the pace of the WTA Tour. Of course, on the men's side, Nakashima pulling off the four-set upset. I mentioned RBA having to withdraw due to COVID. You had one significant upset, one... Uh, I mean, less than significant upset. The less than Nick Kyrgios, who was dominant. He looks like a contender. That match between Tsitsipas and Kyrgios is the match to see who's the biggest threat to Rafa in the bottom half of the draw. Kyrgios, 2-3-1 over Krajinovic, was dominant on the first serve, was locked in from the start, and just overwhelmed Krajinovic with the power tennis he could play. And, you know, again... Kyrgios has a career-high break percentage this season. He is not a bad returner, despite at times being go-for-broke, but he's only go-for-broke when he's unfocused, and today he was focused from the start. Dominant straight-set victory. You also had Liam Brody. Credit to the Brit. Five-set victory over Diego Schwartzman. You look for Liam Brody. Again, a massive victory for him here in his career. Brody, who has been playing such exceptional tennis since the start of 2021. He, you know, I believe last season reached, what was it, two different challenger finals making uh, in Biela in uh, South Africa as well. And, you know, you look for Brody, reached a career-high 116 earlier this season. He's into... Uh, the third round of Wimbledon now for the first time in his career. You look for Liam Brody, who reached his second round at Wimbledon back in 2015 as a wild card into the event. He's now, you know, qualified for two of the three slams this season while he lost, you know, to Kyrgios first round Australia. No shame in that loss to get into qualifying, you know, to get in uh, without having to go through qualifying here and to make a mo the most of it with two five-set victories. Again, a guy who would love to have ranking points at this event as it would get him into the top 100, allow him to start playing more tour-level events. But, you know, credit to Brody. The lefty, extraordinarily tricky uh, to deal with. That backhand stays so low. And for the 28-year-old, again, it's about persistence, just uh, staying the course, playing the challenger level, biding his time, waiting for his his opportunity. You look for Brody today, made 70% of his first serves, 35 winners against 55 unforced errors, but was able to match the physicality of Schwartzman in this three-hour, 47-minute affair. And, you know, shockingly, his forehand was the most effective weapon. And he stopped targeting the Schwartzman backhand, just started going after the Schwartzman forehand far more frequently. Again, impressive victory for Liam Brody to advance in five sets. But four upsets again on the day overall on the men's side 14 seeds knocked out three of them due to COVID and those are certainly the most significant one would feel in Berrettini Chilich and RBA although you know 
we lost FAA. We lost uh, Hurkots in the first two rounds. Not something we would have expected. With that said, let's talk about the matches that went the distance. None of them outside of Schwartzman Brody on the men's side. First day, we've only had one five-set match, but... You look on the women's side, three seeds all managing to survive in straight sets. Shout out to Jess Pagula, who had to play on back-to-back days, played her first-round match yesterday. Today, a three-set win over the always-tricky Harriet Dart. Took her a while to find her rhythm and find ways to prevent Dart from just teeing off on the forehand at will, but Pagula imposed her physicality. Three-set victory for the Americans. She's been as consistent as any player on the WTA Tour, not named Iga this season. Of course, another America and Amer- Amanda Samova looks a bit like a fish out of water sometimes moving on the grass courts, but can't deny her power tennis on this surface. And Anisimova ultimately using that power to win out 2-6-6-3-6-4 over Lauren Davis. You look for Anisimova, who we have not talked about much on this show, but remains extraordinarily frisky. And you look at her section of the draw, Anisimova now going to face Coco Goff. That's a blockbuster third round match. And with the winner of that facing the winner of Harmony Tan, Katie Bolter, uh, again, it, you just we're going to get an American in the second week. A, B, both of those Americans capable of doing damage at this tournament. So that's going to be a really fun third-round match. Fun little nugget uh, right there for all of us to enjoy, of course. Uh, the other three-set match on the day ultimately going the way of another seed. It was Elisa Mertens extending her streak. 18 consecutive third rounds at the majors for Mertens. That's incredible. Again, that's four and a half years consecutively of reaching at least round three, the final 32. Uh, This time she fights off two match points for a three-set victory over Udvardi. Mertens going to have to play again tomorrow as she takes on Angelique Kerber. I feel like Mertens is a tennis chameleon, though. She's going to play to the level of her opponent. But, you know, no matter how good or bad that opponent is. So that will be fascinating. With that said, let's talk about the other match, uh, the results. How did the top seeds look on the day? And let's start on the men's side. My performer of the day on the men's side, despite not pulling off an upset, felt like an upset for Alex Demonauer as he knocks off the home crowd and 20-year-old Jack Draper. Demonauer, a 5-7-7-6-6-2-6-3 victory over the 20-year-old Brit. You look for Demon Hour again, just a special, special sort of athlete. I mean, you look for him distance covered in this match. He covered about five miles of, of court throughout the course of this, a four set match, five miles of sprints. And when Alex Demon Hour sprint, he is on the full sprint. His ability to just, again, extend rally after rally, his ability to hit the on the run forehand and just you know, again, sneak that backhand uh, with sneaky good depth, sneaky good pace. Up the line, down the line, uh, up the line, cross court. What was most impressive is how well he changed direction. Just didn't allow Jack Draper to have his feet set. And you look for Draper, 36 winners in this match, matching Demon Hours total, but 51 unforced errors throughout the course of this match. And by the way, credit to Demon Hour, 14 aces. He made only 54% of his first serves, but that's because he was going after it to put some pressure on the young lefty. And just, again, Demon Hour absorbed the first blow of Jack Draper. Now, Draper got off to a hot start, an early lead, 
Demon Hour didn't panic, stayed measured, stayed calm, found his rhythm in dealing with the forehand of Jack Draper and actually was more confident in testing that on the run forehand for Draper than he was in trying to push the Draper backhand, which I do agree. It's probably the more consistent of the two sides. He just generates such easy pop off both wings, but there's more moving parts on the forehand side for Draper. Still, Jack Draper ain't going anywhere. Again, it took every ounce of physicality from Alex Demonauer to earn this 5-7-7-6-6-2-6-3 victory. And look, Demonauer's run hot and cold. He's definitely had some struggles uh, since play resumed uh, on the ATP Tour in August of 2020. You look for Demonauer, who's 31-26 and 26 overall in his last 52 weeks since tour play resumed in August 2020. Uh, 20. Demonauer, 62-47 and 47 overall, but... You know, again, it's it's been very hot and cold for Demon Hour. I like to look at first-round results for him. 28 and 18, a lot of first-round losses mixed in uh, to that. Now, he's been much more consistent this season. He's 12 and 3 in first-round matches, just getting the ball rolling, and I actually think that's helped him regain his rhythm here down the season's home stretch. But uh, look, the Demon has always been a nightmare on grass courts. You look for Demon Hour overall in his career, 11-7 and seven in first-round matches on grass courts, and uh, you look for him overall in his career on grass courts. Now 37-18, that includes the title in Eastbourne last year. He's won the Nottingham Challenger, Surbiton finalist. Of course, that was his big breakout summer in 2018. He's just one of three, you know, again, he might be the quickest guy not named Novak Djokovic and even put Djokovic on the list. He might be the best mover on a grass court on the ATP or just was able to, again, uh, all I can say is go watch the match, the physicality. I could point to countless on-the-run winners he was able to hit. I was impressed. He, he Even though the first serve percentage has struggled at times this season, he's going after that first serve more, being more aggressive with it, trying to generate more free points. He was able to do so today. Was thoroughly impressed by the performance of Alex Diemenauer, my most impressive men's seed on the day. Now, I cannot say the same of Rafael Nadal. Nadal... I mean, look, credit to Barankis, who went down swinging in that third set, ultimately able to take it before Nadal earns a 6-4-6-4-4-6-6-3 victory. Look, it was final breaks for Nadal. He breaks serve at 4-5, in uh, 5-4 in the first set. I think he broke serve at 5-4 in the second set as well to ultimately secure those first two sets. The return's just landing a little short. The ground strokes are landing a little bit short. Now, he's moving extraordinarily well, defending his first serve well, moving forward comfortably. I thought his backhand cross in punishing Barankas, anytime Barankas tried to go inside in with the forehand, tried to you know pick on Nadal, Nadal moving so well, and his cross-court backhand, you're just on the full sprint hitting a forehand there. Unless you hit a winner, you're going to lose the point. That that backhand, which is so critical to Nadal's success, was clicking far better in today's match. But still in love how he returned serve. And again, like he needs to play his best to beat Novak on this surface. It's it's calendar slam watch. No RBA, no Chilich, no Berrettini in that bottom half of the draw. Yeah, Kyrgios and Tsitsipas are playing well, but Nadal's the definitive favorite against either of them. And, you know, again, Nadal... He's probably at 80% right now, which is good because it's early in the tournament. He hasn't played a grass court match since 2019. He's had to work his way through these matches competitively. Of course, he's still Rafa freaking Nadal. He's finding ways to win, adjusting his tactics, depending on what the opponent throws at him. But he's not imposing his will in these matches. He's not dictating from the start. Just He hasn't obliterated an opponent yet and, you know— Usually Nadal obliterates opponents, at least this season. So we'll keep an eye 
on Rafa moving through the tournament. I mentioned CT Pass straight set win for him against Thompson. Jordan Thompson just really couldn't hurt him throughout the course of the match. Was very impressed by Alistair Gray, who a hard fought 3 6 7 6 6 3 loss to Taylor Fritz. Gray was up breaks at the start of sets two and three. It was up 4 1 in that second set and did a great job taking his one handed backhand early on the rise, being the aggressor, not letting Fritz just rip cleanly, but he clearly had never experienced a Fritz, uh, a serve the caliber of Fritz's. And, you know, Fritz ultimately able to blitz him off the court as such in a straight set victory. Other winners on the day Vandesen Sculp, nice, crafty four set win over Rusevori. Sinego, the sneaky contender who just has fun pop uh, on everything he hits. Uh, straight set win for him over Gaston. Brooksby. Writing the course before a massive summer. Straight set win over Bonzi. Matched his physicality. Just hits his spots. Moves direction so well on this surface. Straight set win for Garin. That was unexpected. Mulcan straight set win over Garon. The lefty's playing better and better with every passing match. And then Richard Gasquet. Four set win over Mackie McDonald. Veterans guile in that match. Just had Mackie in such uncomfortable positions on the court. Was striking everything on the rise beautifully. Took, uh, you know... Brought out all the tricks in that victory over McDonald. With that said, those were your men's matches on the women's side. I mentioned the tie, you know, the contenders, Goff, Halep, Kavitova. They all cruised. Goff, two and three over Buznarescu. She just could absorb the first blow of Buznarescu, and Buznarescu couldn't create any opportunities for herself uh, to attack the Goff serve because that first serve had become such a weapon for Coco. You know, Flipkins was up 5-2 and 4-1 in the first and second sets respectfully before Halep was able to rip off four straight games for 7-5, 6-4 win in each set. Uh, But Halep's just locked in physically. And again, she blinked at the start of sets one and two. Better players will be able to punish her more rigorously than Flipkins was. But she can just play track meet tennis. It's such impressive. The physicality, the depth she's able to generate on the run. It's always a pleasure to watch the 2019 champion Halep, who's now won nine consecutive matches at Wimbledon. Uh, Kvitova, 6-1-5-1 lead on Bogdan. She then started messing around, ultimately a 1-6 win over Bogdan. The serve looked better, still not playing her best, which I think is a scary thing for the rest of the draw because she has another day to work on things, get the serve right, heading into round number three. How about Rabakina and Krachikova? Rabakina, who's been sneaky solid. I think she's 23-12 and 12 now this season. A big win over Andrescu. Andrescu just couldn't find any rhythm, could not handle the power tennis of Rabakina, who could do that to you is a not a member of Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club, but as we've stated before, she's allowed to come hang out on weekends, play golf, eat in the dining hall, because if she wins a Grand Slam, she will immediately uh, be inducted into the club. And then Krachikova just looked healthy, was efficient, was moving well, three and four over Golubic. Krachikova, don't forget, round of 16 here last season. If she's healthy, as she's proven over the past 18 months, she's as good as any player on the WTA Tour. How about Paula Bedosa? Healthy, moving the ball well. Another player's sneaky round of 16 appearance last year. She earned a 3-2 and two win over Barra. Just finally looks like herself again out on court. And then, yeah, the unseeded winners. Jung Chin Wen, the young Chinese woman. Her power tennis, too much for Friedman. And it was a 4-1 win for Chin Wen. You also had Tom Janovich, Cornet, always frisky at this event, into another Wimbledon third round for each. Watson, Freak, and Martich, your other winners on day four. But that'll do it. For a look at day four's matches, of course, we still have a couple to finish. Jack Sock 
just big match energy, hitting his spots well, frustrating Max Cressy, who already has matched his double fault total from his Felix Ogier Aliasim match. Sock a 6-4-6-4 to lead on Cressy. And then the informed Jason Kubler beat Dan Evans in straight sets in round number one, 6-3-6-4-5-4 lead for him over Dennis Novak. With that said, time for our final segment, my favorite matches of day number five. I would lean slightly towards the men's side in terms of the intrigue on Friday. You look on the men's side, Alcaraz Ota is your match of the day. And I break all of these down on the Great Shot podcast feed. So if you're looking for more preview content, head on over there. But all eight matches, Alcaraz Ota, Sinner Isner, Djokovic Kesmanovic, Nori Johnson for the college tennis heads. Both guys were number one in the country at one point. Tiafo Bublik was our Patreon match of the day. Two guys who, again, are they tier three, tier two, tier four? Where are they going to fit in the mix moving forward? This is very much a pecking order sort of battle between Tiafo Bublik. Massive opportunity for Tommy Paul to make his first fourth, ra- uh, fourth round at a major against Yuri Vesely. Umber Gofen, who knows? Basilishvili Van Reithoven, how can you not enjoy Joy Van Reithoven right now. On the women's side, I would point to three in particular. Jabour versus Perry is just going to be good. It just is. The former world junior number one is going to be a factor in Perry moving forward. She gets an early test against Own Jabour. I'm excited for that match. Risk Buzkova has track meet written all over it. And then Kerber Mertens again. Who knows how that match is going to go. But of course, we will be back tomorrow to break down all of the action. Of course, again, preview content available on our GSP uh, podcast feed. You can hear my Ace of the Day segments where I make my picks for each and every day of winter. Wimbledon, of course, as I mentioned at the top. We've also got the SoCal Pro Circuit coming back to you all this weekend. Action continues Saturday and Sunday on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Watch to see who the next stars at Wimbledon will be. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, on the ones and twos, and who, as always, has a f- of an earning job to do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Updates throughout the day available on social media, either at at Cracked Rackets or at A.L. Gruskin. But with all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.